Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And uh, we've got a good lineup um, today. I'm, I always love when we have guests that I learn from or if I learn something different in the execution of this uh, program. Um, and first off, I, I now know about the cuisine of Laos, which I've, I probably should have learned about a long time ago, but... As it may, um, I now know um, we're going to be talking to Chef Noor, which is a shortened form of Noraset Naridabai. <laughs> Pretty good. And he's originally from? He's, he actually is Thai. Thai, from Thailand. And, yeah, okay. and uh, well, he'll tell us all about the, this introduction to Laotian food in the context of his existing Thai restaurant. Now, I'm, I'm gonna do this, and, and you can correct me. Noraset Nari Dokmai is, um, the chef, co-owner of, well, one restaurant, Silk Elephant, um, a previous restaurant, uh, which, uh, Bangkok Balcony, which we all loved, but it has been, uh, re- conceptualized and redone as um, a, a restaurant that we're all very interested in, Kin, um, uh-huh. Laos, and Thai eatery. So there's this big story with all of this. Noor, we're going to call you Chef Noor, which everybody does. Um, you and your wife, Rujira, who's also known as Pui, um, you you were both born and raised in Thailand, right? Correct. And um, your your very successful restaurants um, have been Thai food, which is very popular across the country. But uh-huh. on one of your trips, Pui told me, um, you decided to take a little side excursion into Laos. And you fell in love with the culture and cuisine there. Is that correct? Yes. Um, yes. So, so that, that um, one the trip that uh, we we uh, we went home. Normally, you know, I I take a uh, try to get back to Thailand uh, once a year or maybe every every other year, just to just re, re to refresh my my recipe, my ideas, and um, try to get something different for for Pittsburgh market. Uh-huh. Uh, as far you know, bring something different, bring something something that people uh, you know should be able to enjoy. So I have to think that way too. You know, not, we can't go too extreme. Um, so you know, so I, I, I visit my hometown, and 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 you know, um, so that what the trip for. Um, and then, um, so the, uh, one of the trip, I was like, well, maybe I should, um, should, uh, hop over to Laos and, 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 and check it out and experience, you know, since growing up, um, in Thailand, Lao food is just part of, part of the conversation at the table as far as, you know, you've seen, you, you've seen, you eat, maybe not exactly like the way being served in Lao, but as far as the influence, um, I mean, Thai people know Lao food somewhat familiar with it. So I was like, maybe I should go explore a little bit more to try to get better understanding, try to see what, you know, what technique of cooking, what technique of preserve, how they preserve food throughout the years, uh, how they uh, Preserve food and different season. What uh, what did they what did they do and thing like that. So that that was my uh, my goal for that for that time. No, no, did so we we decided to just you know just like just take maybe a week, just traveling around and, and see what you know what northern Lao cooking like, what southern Lao cooking like, and 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 so on and so forth. So that that was the the goal and. So when I went there, it's, uh, it just, it just, you know, as soon as I land, it's just like, wow, this is, this country has so much to offer. 
I mean, even though you know there's still problem and whatnot in in different area uh, of the country, but as far as the um, hospitality and 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 food, uh, it's still so much to to learn and so much to explore. And you know, familiarity that that's a challenge that I think that uh, I have to overcome because some 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 stuff that they preserve and they they ferment it and things like that that's uh, a part of their cooking technique. That's the thing that uh, for for Pittsburgh for American it might not be as familiar with uh, somewhat uh, different and unique. Now, and that's uh, that's uh, no. that what um, no. you know. When when I went there, I just pretty much connect with some local chef and looking at how how they do thing, how they cook the technique, and get connect with some uh, uh, very uh, successful chef in Luang Prabang, and you know I talk to her and connect with her, and she's like, "Don't travel anywhere. You just stay here. I'll teach you." I teach you whatever you need to learn. So I I, I stuck there for a week and uh, and uh, learned so much from her. And we went to the market, and, you know, every day. And in the morning, we to walk the market looking for fresh stuff. And then you know, we decide a menu and then start cooking and having fun. <laughs> so that that was part of it. And 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 you know, honestly. They were so genuine and 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 loving people. Uh, I was had so much respect in in that. As now, far as you know, hospitality people are so nice and genuine and 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 loving. Yeah, that's what and, I hear. Yeah. Did, did yeah. You, so did, I I I totally feel in love with the country and 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 the people. And um, I was like, wow, I have to do something. Especially you know when I get back, maybe I should. Uh, do something, and uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, thinking, and then you know, finally I came back, and and it was like, well, if I'm gonna do it, I rather, I rather, you know, have uh, have somebody who really know the cuisine. I just don't want to basically bluff it and you know claim that I I know, you know, just spend a week there. That's not, I mean, you know, somewhat uh, you can. You yeah, can uh, yeah. watch YouTube and do whatever, but I, I, that's not how how I lot of present, you know, represent the cuisine and represent the restaurant. That's not how I would like to be. And uh, so I reach out to some uh, chef, successful chef in in the country, and uh, you know, try to connect with her. And this is Chef Seng. Yeah, it's in DC. Yeah, yeah so, and she's in uh, DC, and she is uh, a leader in this whole Laotian um, food movement in the United States. Yes, and there is so a movement, is. so it's not just your one restaurant in Pittsburgh. It's like it's gone on for several years now. Although you were the first in Pittsburgh on this great Correct. interest in in the food of Laos and the culture of Laos. Yes. So yeah, so you know, when by reaching out to her, I I would just try to find the interest and matching. You know that we have the same interest in the same same thing. When by looking at how she, you know, she owns Thai restaurant when she get, when she uh, get into the industry. No, she because Thai. Because she hiding. Yeah, she owns the Thai restaurant because she. She has. She doesn't have a gut to open the Laos, and then ah. and uh, so she had owned Thailand wrong for so many years, and you know, and and finally she's come to. She's like, why not Laos? So she, I got to talk to her, and 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 we had we came from the same curiosity, and and you know, talk to her and see how she be able to. Turn this thing around, and that what interests me in terms of working with her, because you know how how she able to present some of the technique, some of the ingredients for the American people to really enjoy it. That how that how we connect. And, and I, both you, you know, and your wife cook, right? Yes, 
yes. So that's how that's how we get connect with Chef Sang, and that was like, you know, I really, really want her to come to Pittsburgh and help us, you know, launching the Lao food movement and the Lao cuisine in Pittsburgh because we want to do the right way, basically. So, um, so that that's how we start Kin Restaurant in Pittsburgh. No, and to me, you know, as far as the ingredient, as far the, from the back end standpoint, it's not, it's not much drastic change. No, Just, you know, add more herb, add more ingredient, and use different, slightly different technique to cook. Okay, so that's the difference to, between the Laos and um, the Thai. Because you have two sections on your menu. One is Laos, the other one is Thai. Correct. And and yes. could could you so those are the difference. Laos uses more herbs, and I think they yeah, also it's use a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more herb oriented and, and fresh herb lead the way. Um, less utilize of coconut milk yes. and utilize a lot of spice in the herb to bring the flavor into the in, into the dishes. So different dishes have different flavor, and uh, you know the so. So, um, so that that that's uh, that's uh, different. Now, fish, um, fish different sauce. technique of cooking. There's some of the some okay. of the ingredient that um, you know, like when I went to Laos, I was trained in Laos. They have some spice, some root that that uh, we cannot find it here. Oh, you can't get cooked. it here. You can't get I'm it there are a lot of things you can't get here that are typical of Laotian cooking. Yes, yeah, a lot of stuff we, you know, nowadays, um, nowadays we, we, we have access to, but there's still a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things that, that, um, you know, unique to the country, even Thailand, we can hardly find it. Uh, right. So it's a, it's a, it's something different, something unique to the to the cuisine itself, you know. So it's a it's a different spice and different thing that they utilize into the dishes. And now, uh, I hope someday we'll be able to get there as far as you know, have access to those ingredients to be able to present at the, at the restaurant and you know make it even more authentic. I see. Now you you use a lot of fish sauce. Is is that? Is that typical? Yeah, we they, they, in Lao, in Lao, in Thai, you know, we them. utilize a lot of fish sauce, different, different style of fish sauce, you know, different. Uh, but but, you know, but Laos isn't on the coast, right? It, it isn't on the sea. It's sorry, land, one more time. It's, Laos, Laos is, is landlocked. It's not on the ocean. Right, correct, correct. So There's no um, no access to that. So why fish sauce? Uh, they use uh, it's not it's not a it's, it's they use different uh, fish rather than you know there's a lot of Kong River is run through the country right the rivers and, okay. and yeah they use uh, you know it's not a sea fish okay ocean got fish. It. yeah okay. So the, the river um, so there's is a lot of seafood, not a lot of seafood. You can notice it in Lao cuisine itself. You know, the, not not many, not many seafood, but um, you know, but a lot of fish. But they use, uh, you know, uh, liver fish. Yeah, now rice is a big thing for Laos, right? Right, right, it's a big thing for for Lao and Thai. Both Thai. Yeah. Thai and Lao. That's that's like a bread for, you know, Europeans and Americans. Uh, For us, it's rice and different type of rice being being used. You know, the sticky rice is is very common uh, in Laos. Uh, and sticky rice is very common in Thai, in northern and, and, uh, on the eastern part of Thailand, which is connected to Laos, and, you know, so somewhat have that influence. No, uh, uh, Nora, what is, is it Isan or Isan, I-S-A-N? Isan. Isan, what is that? Yeah, Isan is a, Isan is a region or part of 
eastern side of Thailand that connect to Laos. I see. Yeah, some of those uh, regions, you know, that have that uh, that basically connect to Laos border. And they have a certain cuisine that that is yeah. shared. So it, 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 it's it's Eastern food is is similar to Lao food because it's of course the border, is, you know, and the influence across the border as far as the cooking goes. So just just a lot of a lot of spice and a lot of a lot of Techniques that that Thai people um, able to capture and and use to cook to 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 um, to use for the technique for cooking for Thai food, but using raw ingredient and such. Uh, so well, we call Eastern food, which I, is more like eastern eastern part of Thailand it, cooking. It, before I forget, I want to point out that the name of this restaurant, capital K, capital I, capital I, capital N, is a word that means eat together? Eat, yes. It means eat, eat, eat uh, in Thai and also in Laos. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, so, I mean, uh, our listeners we like... We have very similar, similar language. I mean, somewhat similar, but... Uh, Almost be able to understand, um, you know, but but it's it's, it's, it's different, similar but different. But so you it, understand it, huh? I I went to the country. I I I would say sixty percent I able to communicate with local and, oh, wonderful. and, and you know understand. Uh, but if they speak fast, it's some of the area. If they speak fast, and then. <laughs> I tell them them will slow down, but Isan part of Thailand and Laos speak even similar, more than you know. Like I'm from the north of Thailand, so that I still have I heard some dialect and all that stuff. But then I get to Laos, there's some terminology difference and and thing. But um, you'll be able for the content of it, you'll be able to guess what 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 it is and thing. You know, so. Now, you know, our listeners like to have details, delicious details. Um, and I, I don't have the menu in front of me, but perhaps you might direct us as to what are, what's in some of these dishes. We started with a dried beef, strips. Yes, that's a thin lot. Uh huh. Thin lot, so it's a thin, like a marinated beef, uh, you know, um, uh, lightly, lightly deep fried and lightly roasted, yeah. And we had a dipping sauce. Dipping sauces are big, aren't they? Yes. And it's dipping spicy. Sauce, it, 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 that's a typical dipping sauce that, that a lot of people uh, are, you, are used, they, you know, um, for almost everything. Um so uh, um, that's 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 yeah. There's a uh, roasted chili, shallot, and some part of Lao they use in roasted rice put in there, and uh, you know, so it's a different different part, different different family, and different technique of cooking. But the majority of it from come from chip sauce and yeah. and lamb and now and, they they. They seem to use a lot of green mango, right? Yeah. So we had a dish that was really wonderful with green mango, but I don't remember what it was called. Are you maybe it's a papaya rather than mango? That could be. That's it. What's yeah, in that? Papaya. Yeah. So it's different. So um, <clears throat> at the restaurant, we we have three different uh, three different style of papaya salad. You know, one is um, just uh, vegetarian, which is we not we not utilize the fish sauce, vegan, so we don't use fish sauce. We use uh, different uh, salt, um, um, like use uh, light soy sauce and stuff like that to uh, to enhance the flavor rather than fish sauce. Now, what's and what's then, the most um, what's what's so the most what's the most famous dish that's that's ground is ground pork. Lab, 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 yeah, lab salad. Lab salad. That's also 
very typical for Laos. You would see that all over the country, and Thai, Thai also, and um, so they typically eat it with, with, with pork. Right. But in Laos, they, they do a lot with the buffalo. Um, Laos buffalo, that's very famous in Laos, and a lot, a lot of, you know, restaurants and the, the streets using that. So we uh, we were hoping sometime we will be able to use a lot of buffalo locally. And, and, and Are you yeah. saying yeah. buffalo? Buffalo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, buffalo uh, meat. Are they water buffalo? Yeah, yeah they're water buffalo. Yeah, like in Italy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Water buffalo for the most uh, when I when I when I was there I uh, I got a chance to, to learn the technique and cooking lab, you know, with the buffalo meat. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, that it's wonderful. probably lean, right? Yeah, very, very lean. And and what very, what was it that I wrapped up in lettuce leaves? Was that the lob? No. I had lettuce, lettuce leaves with I wrapped something in it. Is that a fish? Is that a fish in there? Oh, no, but I did have that wonderful salmon cooked uh, in a uh, banana leaf. That was wonderful. Okay, so that, that's more uh, fish, fish dish. Mok, like, you know, we uh, we put a little bit of coconut and, and milk and, and savory with some lamb leaf and, and um, some little bit of lead curry paste, you know. Mix it in the sauce and then steam it, steam the fish in that sauce in the banana leaf. Now, if you like catfish, you can get that dish with catfish. catfish yeah, right. catfish is even better. And, 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 and Anne's not keen on catfish, so she had it with salmon, which was very good. Yeah, salmon are so wonderful. Uh, catfish is pretty, pretty, you know, pretty typical for. Yeah, well, I lived in the Midwest, and, and I guess you could get all the catfish in the world and just about nothing else in the Midwest, so. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and the crispy yeah, rice. We, do, we, use, we use a lot of catfish in Thai and Laos. Well, that's, yeah, because the rivers and so on. Yep, yep, yep. The, the um, crispy rice was good. What was that? Crispy rice is uh, that serving uh, as a, a condiment for the for the sauteed jackfruit. Uh-huh. So that is, uh, that's uh, on the Thai side. And that's, uh, so I do, that's actually my, uh, my mother's recipe. I wish I really. I had that, uh, growing up. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's my mom's recipe. So we be able to put that on the menu. Well, I'll tell you something. I mean, talking to you, I wish I had more of it. So I have to come back. Um, before oh, yeah. before we go though, I, I really have to mention um, the decor because I I knew it when it was Bangkok balcony, and now right. that it's Ken, you had a, a graffiti artist come in from DC as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I uh, I was able to when we of course when we went to have a, you know I take a couple of trips to DC just to connect with Chip Sang and. Um, so, you know, been to her establishment and, and her restaurants and, um, and I was able to spot, uh, some of the artwork on the wall. And even the, the restaurant, even before that, even before that, it's, uh, one of the La Mente place. Uh-huh. Um, and that's in his initial work. So I, we went there and we were sitting. I was just looking at the wall and I was like, what? What? This, the guy who was doing this, it had to be Asian. So, you know, so I was just, uh, curious because I just looked in his work and, uh, on the wall. And so I, I, uh, I look at Instagram because of the, the signature. And I, I, I didn't see him, of course, but I started seeing his work. I'm like, okay, maybe, yeah. I, I, that's nothing happening then. And then went to Chef Sang restaurant and it was like, see some of the work at, at, on the, on the side, not the whole restaurant, but <laughs> part of the side. And I was like, that, that is very cool. So I asked Chef Sang, who's the artist for that? And she was like, he's, he's a Laos and, uh, you know, living in DC. I was like, can I connect with them? And she, 
she gave me, of course, she gave me his number, and so that that was that. So I <laughs> talked to him, and uh, you know, I I said, "We this is what we're gonna do," and so I brought him over, and I said, "This is the space," <laughs> and we want to, you know, the, the the most idea I gave him is we want some graffiti, and we want some some culture integrate into the art mm-hmm. as far as two culture be able to merge two culture in, onto the wall. Well, well so I never influence what go on there. <laughs> I just tell him, I give him a little bit of concept and then the rest of uh, his work. Well, it's wonderful. And, and I would say, um, Ken Laos and, uh, and, Thai eatery is a very happy place to be. Listeners, you, you go for the ambience, you go for the food, the service is excellent. Um, it's open every day. Um, you've got the, the full bar. Uh, you got everything. <laughs> oh, and, and yes, don't forget, yes. happy hour just started. Um, right? they just start, you just started happy hour too. Yes, we just started happy hour uh, this week, so, so. hopefully, you know, get people to come and enjoy Lao beers and and uh, and some unique drink. Uh, Your cocktails, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's wonderful, and uh, thank you for talking to us, uh, Noor, and, uh, and hello pleasure, also to Pui, who was really wonderful to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll See you soon. <laughs> thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, we're done. So what's the deal, sweetheart? I guess, I guess we're fortunate here in Pittsburgh that we have a Thai, I mean, a Laotian restaurant. Yeah. Right, right, right in our neighborhood. Listeners, if, if one opens in your neighborhood, because it seems, seems like this is the hot cuisine according to yeah, uh, pundits these days. If so. they put one in Texas, they gotta have one just about everywhere, I guess, huh? Yeah, so, so anyway. Check it out, and in the meantime, don't go away, because we'll be right back in Texas, right? Back in Texas. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back, and um, in this next episode, my discussion with Barbara Hodges, the uh, CEO of Dinan Gourmet Popcorn, I learned that the Texas two-step is actually a flavor of popcorn, which in turn is also a vehicle for uh, fundraising. It's, I know, hard to get your head around that one, but let, let's listen to Barbara. Well, I was caught with surprise over this particular product. Not that, I mean, anytime anybody mentions popcorn, my eyes widen with expectation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this popcorn comes with a whole bunch more interest and, and involvement. Uh, and Barbara Hodges, who's the CEO and a family member of the founding family and the operational family, is going to tell us all about Dinan, Dinan, gourmet popcorn. Yeah. Let's start with how how did it start out? So, yeah, actually, um, what what happened is um, my father had a full career in the Air Force right. as a fighter pilot. My father, Dean, and uh, when he retired from the Air Force, as you know, when you retire from the Air Force, you're you're young. You can have a whole career, and he's like forty five and yeah. getting out, and my so that's too young. That, yeah. Yeah, it's too young to just go home and sit on the couch. So right. he wanted to have a business, and his really his main requirement was he'd like to have something he could do with his family. Because at that point, while my older sister and I had left home for college, uh, he still had three kids at home, okay. uh, one in middle school, a couple in high school. And so he wound up, I mean, through a long search, he wound up buying a popcorn shop in a local mall in San Antonio as something to do. Okay. And 
Eventually, he owned five popcorn shops in the area. <laughs> so, he, by you know, he then put his head together with a local teacher, and he cooked. They cooked up this idea of trying a popcorn fundraiser. So he puts together some packages, and he just gives her the case, and he says, "Try to sell these. Tell me how it goes." If you don't think it's any good, you don't owe me anything. If you do, tell me what it's worth. And so way back then, um, they cooked, it's kind of really a long story short is that wound up being the focus of his business. And over the next, I'm going to say 10 years, he wound up uh, closing down his shops to focus on, I mean, he sold them, you know, it, it basically for him, the focus became the fundraising side of the business. So it was a little bit like Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. In fact, a lot of times that's what I tell people. It's like the Girl Scout cookies, only we do popcorn. You know, (laughs) we sell the popcorn to people, and they go out and ask for your support for whatever causes are important to them. Great. So that is the main thing that we have done up until about, I'm going to say, 2018. Now, every now and then we've tried to run out the wall of trying to get into the um, wholesale retail market. And in the year of 2018, we, on a whim, entered a contest by a local grocery store, excuse me, a regional, a Texas-based grocery store called HEB. A phenomenal company, by the way, just a phenomenal company. And we happened to become, in that contest, one of the 25 finalists for the grand prize. So what we didn't realize at the time, that making it into the 25, top 25, you've, you've already won, okay? Yeah, right. You basically, they have said they want to do business with you. So we were able to get that close, and our products, we developed a grocery store bag specifically um, targeted to grocery stores like HEB. And we got into them, and um, they taught us something very important. And that was not to apologize for being from a region or uh, for being from Texas, for example. Oh, right. And, yeah, they helped us target and focus us to products like our Texas Two-Step and our Texas Heat um, to basically say this is where we're from and this is how we do it here in Texas. Now, you did – there's a secret – with a shh. Yeah. But I, I'm guessing it's on your website and when you click, when you click on it, you find the answer. But I, I never knew there was more than one kind of popping corn. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. Go, exactly. go for it, Bob. Tell us about that. If people feel pretty strongly about this too. You will get varying opinions. But what we love about ours, and of course, if you ever get to see them on our package, we showcase that popcorn on our package. We buy a variety of popcorn that's, of course, more expensive. It's called mushroom popcorn. And the reason we do that is we like for it to pop up into that nice, big, round, fluffy ball of just crunchiness. So we add, you know, maybe um, a cheese coating around it or we add a caramel coating around it. But since we air pop it and it's that big, round shape, Whenever you bite into it, you've always got this fluffy white center. And, and I don't know, we just think that really goes well with the crunch or with the savoriness of the cheese. Which it does. And what, those, those little packages, I open one of them, I can't stop till I empty it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So even though in the big stuff where we send it to the grocery store, we call it a shareable bag, yeah, a lot right. of people tell us it's it's gone. Oh, sure. yeah, exactly. Now the other the other thing is, what, what about the six? Is it the six gallon size? Well, you're we thinking like the tins. The tins, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know what? That is a small part of our business that is focused very strongly towards the holiday time, okay. and that's one of the legacies from my father's time. We have tins. It's not a uh, business that we actually actively go after but we have a lot of loyal customers or people who come to us it tends to be mostly focused around uh, corporations where they may send us a spreadsheet of names they want to thank their customers is that how we got one of those or several of those we got some some, one of your companies send us something rabbit i remember having a huge chin of it no no. really 
No kidding. We must have got one from somebody else. You know, well, years yeah. ago. It was a long. It was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. No, we've been. Well, we've been sending them out from again, even from my father's time, for many, many years. Maybe, maybe that's how. We, maybe that's how we got one. Yeah. We also, uh, yeah. we also used to get a fruitcake from Texas too. Oh, that was yeah. funny. Of course yeah, Corsicana. There's a town yeah. that that smells of fruitcake in Texas. Do you yeah. Know? But Corsicana. Yeah. And in fact, you know what? He was in the HEB Quest for Texas Best the same year that we were. Also oh, okay. made it to the 25 finalists. Yeah. Good company. Good yeah. people. And. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, well, we seem to have an affinity for popcorn. Remember we interviewed somebody in Chicago whose father invented some kind of corn machine? Oh, the Creators people? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. There you go. Years ago Again, we interviewed not, them. Are oh, they still going? Company. They do. And, in fact, what they do, we buy machines from them. Now, Creators, there's two Creators. That's it. One where they sell popcorn and one where they sell popcorn machines, and we actually, many of our machines are from those people that buy, that make popcorn machines. They are a phenomenal company as well. Yeah, what's, yeah. What's, what's they the, were family, though, on both branches of the uh, popcorn what, business. What's, what's the name of the yeah. creator? No, no, no. What's what's the name of the kernels that don't pop? Oh, those half, those old half, maids. Half pops. <laughs> we call them old maids, yeah. yeah. That's what, yeah, that's they, what they, they were called them, They called them half pops, and they sell them. Well, that that was is that how too. we got there. I love I, I that half so, pods. Yeah. We've never seen them since. They're yeah. great. They, yeah, they taste good, right. but they're you, you don't break your teeth on them like you do with the old maids. I know, and that's I don't know how they do that. But it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, we now okay. So let's um, go back to this. Um, okay, <laughs> you, so you you started with uh, the fundraising and so forth, and you. Included developing different flavors all along the way too, and um, we did. You sent us um, by way of promotion um, something called the Texas Two Step, and another one Good. called Texas Heat. Tell us about yes. that. Those are our two newest products, and again, that all came out of that whole thing where HEB came to us looking for specifically Texas-based products. We have been, we've actually been talking about the Texas Two-Step probably for 10 years, but we've been talking about it in a fundraising concept. We'd go to the trade shows and we'd tell people, oh man, if you combine this one and this one, we call that the Texas Two-Step <laughs> step. It kind of came out of a takeoff. Everybody knows what the Chicago corn mix is, right? It's, um, it's a mix of caramel corn and cheese corn. Oh, is that? I didn't know that. Okay. But in Texas, everything's a little spicier. Okay. And so we basically take a really good caramel corn and we combine it with that uh, spicy, what we call salsa and cheddar. And, oh, my gosh, I think we just took it all to the next level. It It is my favorite flavor. Peter it has loved been it. for loved it, decades. Loved it, yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it has it a just, bite. <laughs> yeah, it has that little bit of a bite. Yeah. And strangely, though, that caramel corn can reduce the bite. So sometimes, meaning it's got, I don't know, it's got that component of, um, you know, maybe butter in it, something that something about it cuts that heat, or I don't know, maybe it's the sweet that pairs with it, and it just makes it perfect. Yeah, I'm sure the sweet ones are your biggest sellers. I mean, I, I always prefer <laughs> the savory, but most people like the sweet. I agree with you. I'm actually a savory person for the most part myself as well, but we know from our sales that the rest of the world and doesn't agree with you and me exactly. for the most part exactly. they are definitely have a sweet tooth i would say over 50 percent of our sales are basically the sweet flavors right they just people love them now Rabbi, where was it when we we were on a fam tour and they took us into a popcorn shop and it was like floor to ceiling different Flavors of popcorn. The whole shop was nothing but popcorn. I don't, I don't and know. I have never seen. I mean, popcorn's a good base for any flavor you could even think of. And yeah, I mean, that's true. You know, watermelon popcorn. I mean, it's just unreal. I, I don't that's know, true. I don't, I don't know where it was. I can't remember where it was. In Toronto, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know, um, it's very true. Now, we have a philosophy, though, of sticking with classic flavors. You know, we'll. 
introduce something new, but we like to do the classics. I think um, basically that's kind of the first piece of advice that my dad gave me. He said that when he opened his first popcorn shop, he was right next door to Bressler's 33 Flavors. Do you know that ice cream company? Do you remember them? What's no, it called? Bressler's. Bressler's no. 33 Flavors Ice Cream. No, oh, no, we're, no, no, we're, no, 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 we're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of, well, Amer- home of America's yeah. team. I don't know if <laughs> I don't know. Yes, you are. I don't it's not, know. It's not if, you, you Dallas Cowboy fan. You. <laughs> oh, you're not allowed to be. <laughs> I don't think they let you in Texas if you're not a Cowboys fan. <laughs> so, so you have to lie if you're not. <laughs> but uh he told me I don't I thought Bristlers might be a national brand. I'm not really sure. But basically he said that he was shooting the breeze one day with the guy next door and the guy said, Yeah, we have thirty three flavors, he said, but you know what I sell the most? He said chocolate, vanilla and strawberry. Oh wow. And my <laughs> dad yeah. he, he told me that story and I was sharing it with a guy from a spice company one time, and he started nodding before he even finished, and he said, yeah, you know what we sell the most of? Salt and pepper and onion powder and garlic powder. And I said, oh, my God, you're right. All four of those are in my my cabinet. But to, to not get too long here, but bottom line is my father was trying to tell me the classics will sell over yeah. and over and over again. And so that's what we do. You know, we make a caramel corn that we think is kick butt good we uh make a kettle corn we think we've improved on the classic kettle corn uh, those yeah, kind what, of things but what what makes with, it i mean you it, it's more popcorn tasting is that because of the kind of corn you pop i think that has a lot to do with it i think our recipes but i think we have one more secret that um that really makes people enjoy everything in the bag i don't know if you had a chance to notice it when you opened up your bag but there were not crumbs in the bottom of that bag every single piece of popcorn in that bag was a piece of popcorn that was beautifully coated because you sifted in our yeah we sift it twice basically when we bought the uh packaging machine we actually sift it throughout the process many times but when it gets to packaging, that's a fully formed kernel, and we just want to make sure that there's none of the riffraff in there. So we sift it at the bottom as it enters the bagger, and then we sift it one more time just before that popcorn falls into the bag because we don't want there to be a whole bunch of little pieces in there. We want it to be beautiful popcorn in the whole bag. Well, so, Barbara, you're a perfectionist here. Um, so <laughs> popcorn is your first favorite thing what's your second yeah. most favorite thing in the world oh come on it's if we're talking about food yes. i don't know if we're talking about if we're talking about in general it's family of course yeah what about oh, food? Man. and food it would be definitely something savory gosh i hate to tell you but i think it's another snack i think it would be like chips <laughs> oh, I feel like I've just confessed. I like you know, to someone. <laughs> something we, I shouldn't be proud of. <laughs> we, we we love them too, and just just to sh- yeah. just to show you our weaknesses, we just got we just got a test shipment of some kind of jerky. Oh, that was uh-huh. good too. And that's that's very good jerky. Yeah. That, that'll last at least two or three yeah. days. Yeah, it's yeah. flank steak, <laughs> flank steak, jerky, and it's it doesn't. Destroy your teeth trying to chew it. It's it's soft. That sounds wonderful. It is wonderful. I, I, have yeah. a, I have a question for you. Yeah. Is your popcorn for sale in Walmart stores? It is not at this oh, time. Oh, good. Fact, getting... <laughs> <laughs> we um, we have kind of refused to compromise quality, good. and we want to stick with. I mean, I, and of course, so the ingredients cost a little more. So I think um, I'm not sure that's ever in our future. And it's, you know, it's just I don't think we've been approached sometimes by vendors who have said, "Yeah, but you got to get your price down. You got to get your price down." And and of course, I know how to do that, but we just aren't willing to do it. We exactly. think we think in the end, people will go with what tastes good. Great. Well, Bob, I agree it, with you. It's 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 it's, you know. it's a it's a lovely it's a lovely story. And it's a great product, listeners. Don't forget. Don't forget. Demand don't forget. You want popcorn. You ask if the if the popcorn is mushroom popcorn, 
not butterfly popcorn. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a disciple already. <laughs> All right, that's awesome. Barbara Hodge, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Anne. Thank you, Peter. You guys are awesome. I appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. And from our last guest, Lee Egbert, um, I've learned <laughs> that ready-to-drink pre-mixed cocktails out of a can can, in fact, in fact be excellent. And um, so we're going to talk to him about Dash Fire ready-to-drink cocktails. And now, Lee Egbert's company, Dash Fire ready-to-drink canned cocktails, um, is taking just the last bit of effort out of making cocktails. So you're really encouraging a lot of drunks, Lee, right? <laughs> In a way, yeah, yeah. We still, you still have fun with the garnish, but, uh, yeah, there's still a little work to do, but, yeah. Um, let's start at the beginning. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure about, you, you started out, you're in Minnesota, and you yep. started out with a small, I'm assuming, craft company. Yeah, we've been, uh, for a long time, I've been, Dash Fires has been around for about eight years now, and I'm also a partner in a, another, I'm a, um, another micro distillery where we do grain to glass whiskeys and very small production. Um, but, uh, but Dash Fire is, is, has been kind of, um, where, where we, where it all started for me. And then, so I've been, you know, I've been distilling whiskey and barreling spirits and in the spirits world for about eight years now and uh for me it started i traveled a lot for work and um i found myself in new york city quite often and when i was there it was kind of around you know it was a, a little over a decade now and um you know the speakeasy kind of um premium cocktail craft cocktail movement had started in new york and uh, i had went into a little bar called the little branch it was in a basement kind of hidden and uh i was in manhattan so i ordered a manhattan and uh and that cocktail literally changed my life i uh didn't didn't know anything about craft cocktails at the time and it had um uh, antica carpano vermouth and it had a, a french cherry la parisienne and i was just so i fell in love immediately and started making craft cocktails at home. But then, more importantly, I noticed there weren't a lot of bitters out there. I'm kind of a bit of a whiskey snob when it comes to my Manhattans and now. So I actually, the first bitters, the first product we ever did, we only had one, and it was a bourbon-based orange bitters. Oh, wow. And so we still make it today. It's in the base of a lot of our ready-to-drink cocktails. But... Um, Elton Brown loves it. In fact, he had it on his, he would bring it with him to, you know, when he was traveling and stuff. But it's, it's aged also in Minnesota barrels, even after the bourbon has already been aged. So we soak fresh citrus, fresh orange rinds, and then all these other botanicals like cinnamon, clove, cardamom, all of that in with it, and then let it rest for a month and macerate, and then we pull that out and then filter it and put it in a bottle. And, uh, since I'm, like I said, a bit of a whiskey snob, I made a bitters that was made with whiskey because, you know, back then I was like, well, I'm not going to put vodka in my Manhattan, you know, <laughs> which is, so now, of course, you make a lot of bitters that, and a lot of them do use a, a base that is similar to a vodka, but, uh, but that just is kind of the beginning of it all. And, and, uh, so back then I wanted to start making everything to make a Manhattan from top to bottom. And, uh, so I made bitters, I made the whiskey, I even made a Minnesota vermouth and, and, uh, but now, um, the cocktails were, were just kind of the, 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 the most recent turn of events for us that kind of change everything for, for us and also kind of the industry right now. Um, I immediately thought it was going to be awful. Mm -hmm. The right. idea of, of pre-mixed cocktails in a can struck me as, yeah. 
Right. That's what everybody says. Everybody is like they they say the exact same thing. They're they're ready to hate it. And then And, and, and it's fabulous. It. It's fabulous stuff. <laughs> yeah. The Ready to Drink Cocktail World is, is has a really bad reputation because um, it, for a long time it has been a lot of these Elka Pops, they call oh, them, yeah, overly sweet and oh, over-oxidized and all these things. And, oh, yeah, no, I, I hate those things. Um, <laughs> now, so, Lee, where, where, do, where do Vision Wine and Spirits and Martin Yeti fit in with Dashwine? Yeah, they've been our partner in all of this um especially you know they they took on our bitters brand that's originally why we started talking to them but uh we told them hey guys we're going to be doing this crazy thing called ready to drink cocktails <laughs> and they're delicious and we want you to be a part of it and uh they they originally saw saw how great of an idea it was so they they started taking us and now we're in 10 states and this literally just started last July was when we first started releasing products. So really? it's only only been half a year. And um, yeah, we did have an old fashioned maybe like the previous fall, but that wasn't just in a bottle. It wasn't in a can at the time. And um, so it's obviously really blossomed. Everybody's been loving it because it can be drank in a lot of places, you know, hotels and airlines and um, golf courses and up the cabin and, and <laughs> You know, so it's just so simple. And there's a lot of times where you just don't want to go through the effort of making a cocktail, but you want to have a great cocktail. And this kind of does that for those people. And there's some people that never want to make a cocktail. <laughs> and then it's even better for them, you know. Now, you've so. you've got two versions of this, though. You've got, if you like, the ultra-portable version, which comes in a cute little can. And then, and then you've got regular wine bottle size. For I guess people who are planning to do a little more cocktail drinking. Yeah, it's we kind of did both, so it's a little bit cheaper to put it bulk into a bottle versus into you know many cans. So we did that, which also is useful for say like a a bar that doesn't have a craft cocktail menu that wants to put something. Or a resort is a really good example of where that comes in handy, or events, um, you know, weddings, that kind of stuff. So. That simplifies that, um, but then the cans, of course, are you know they're cute, they're teeny, they're these little hundred mLs, which they is actually the, cute, per- the perfect size pour. Yeah, right. With the gold lids and <laughs> well, you know the, the whole craft cocktail thing is such a big. I mean, it's really big, and the mm. bartenders guild is big, and there's a certain um, uh, I don't know what to call it about it, um, but. But they're pretty snobby, these people. <laughs> they are, because I know a lot of them. So what I'm asking you is how, I mean, you're sort of against their trend. How is it received? I mean, how do these people, how do you interact with that movement and all those people and whatever? Well, it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, I have a lot of friends also that are bartenders. We're part of the Bartenders Guild, and... um and I've had so many bartenders like come up and tell me kind of the same thing. Also, like I was ready to hate this and then I drank it and now I, I can't fault you for this because it's really good. And, uh, so, you know, once they, they see that we're putting in, we're basically like bartenders in a way because, um, we're just making a bigger batch and we're still using like, you know, the craft cocktail scene. We've been part of it for a long time and have made a lot of cocktails. But what's really hard to do is make a cocktail that's stable. That's why we use sherry in a lot of these, because sherry has already kind of done its oxidization and that kind of thing. And so we're using high-quality ingredients, like in the Manhattan, we have fig and cascara. Cascara is the cherry outside of the coffee bean, which is, you know, it just sounds delicious and is, because it's got that cacao kind of taste to it and richness. Um, fig, of course, brings some nice um, kind of, grown-up, broody sweetness to the cocktail. And so once they see that, you know, we're putting in a lot of effort, just kind of like they do in the cocktail bars, they, we, they, they appreciate it. They they are a little leery though, you know, (laughs) because they see it it as a a competitive thing. But at the same time, you know, not everybody is drinking out all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you're up at the cabin or whatever and, 
and maybe you want a nice Manhattan, but maybe you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of great places to go and get that kind of cocktail. And um, so that's where we kind of help with that. Obviously, we're not competing with them when we're up in an airplane because, you know, and we, and there's people that want to have a nice cocktail while they're on the flight home. So things like that, that's where it comes in really helpful, I think. Now, Lee, we, we have, have a number of friends who are bartenders in the Bartenders Guild and everything. And I remember yeah. at least one of them said one of the things you have to be really careful about when you when you're making your own, for example, Negroni or Manhattan or something like that, if you if you put it in a barrel and you leave it in the barrel too mm. long, then it, then it, get, it gets far too much of the woody flavor that you don't want. So right. so you must have been pretty skillful in making sure that that didn't happen to yours, or maybe it did happen to yours and you just then corrected it. Well, exactly that happens. In fact, I've since we've been doing bitters for a long time, we've helped a lot of bar programs. Maybe they don't have, you know, a, a, a strong staff, so we'll go in and kind of help them a little bit. And that's something, especially with my, my whiskey-making background and barrel aging, we did a, so much testing, different proof levels, all this stuff. It extracts at different rates. Um, even the proof at which we macerate our botanicals at is different because water and ethanol are chemically two different chemicals in fact they're polar opposites electrically so they draw different things out of the um out of the botanicals so the barrel is exactly the same you know if you if you have it at too low a proof it might pull too bitterness um a flavor and definitely if you've had it sit too long um that's also my experience but yeah you can overly i always tell bar programs they always want to buy a barrel and then put a cocktail on the menu and then pour it right out of it continuously and then Always tell them not to do that. You want to age it for a set amount of time, control it, take it out, put it back into the bottles, and then and then serve it to the customer that way. Depending on each state has different rules on how you do that, but uh, yeah, that's that that's absolutely true. And uh, barrels a great tool, but it can you know everybody thinks you just you call something barrel aged and all of a sudden it's better, but you can definitely mess it up. Now you you keep talking or referring to your um, uh, your whiskey background. What is mm. your background? Sure. So that was um, that was a distillery that I helped um, start here in Minnesota um, called Eleven Wells, and um, now I've I'm spend all my time with Dashfire just because. <laughs> Dash you Fire were basically a distiller. Yeah, I was one of the original founders, and then um, and then also was one of the main distillers. Um, we'd kind of trade off back and forth, you know, who was sleeping on the cot overnight at the distillery <laughs> while we were <laughs> while we were making whiskey and uh, barreling, you know, wrangling barrels and all that stuff, so fermenting the whole process. And um, so I obviously learned a lot about that. We used a lot of heritage grains in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. um, there was even a documentary that they did about Minnesota 13, which is a moonshine made during Prohibition that... Um, it featured um, us heavily because we kind of resurrected kind of an old style of that. Yeah. And moonshine's uh, big right now is the trend. Right, right. Yeah. And and you know the grains are so important and all that's so important. Um, so we were um, there's actually Minnesota is, is amazing. You know um, uh, Norman Borlaug, who was the one who won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work on wheat grains, was from the University of Minnesota, and we had a amazing grain history here um so uh so uh, there's a lot of love for grain in our state um and uh so that that was kind of my my back a little bit of a background there while i was also kind of getting dash fire off the ground but the plan was always to grow dash fire to a point where it would be its own distillery and so that's kind of where we've come today now you've got a, you've got a chai white russian that's and that sounds mm-hmm. like it might be kind of dangerous <laughs> yeah, it's 17% alcohol, but obviously you don't, you drink it, you know, like you drink a white Russian and say like a lowball glass over some ice or you can pour it over ice cream or oh, it's just, uh, or maybe in your coffee in the morning. <laughs> you, you remember that funny stuff we got from India? There's a, yeah. came in those really luxurious looking bottles, mm. but it's tr- it's traditional from the from the subcontinent of of India, 
And, but it's, oh, cool. But it's a, but it's a lot. It's very a lot, decorative it's, bottles. It's it's a lot like a Bailey's or a Brandy Alexander or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh yeah, yeah. They had that nice box. Is that the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. A really grand looking box. I can't remember the name of it now. A satin lined box. No, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked really beautiful. Didn't 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 taste. Didn't go to our taste. But then. Somebody who's putting lemon and lavender in a martini is, <laughs> isn't, isn't necessarily someone we'd like to have pouring for us every day. Right. Well, that, I mean, I, I, a big place of my, piece of my heart is over in Asia. I spent a lot of time, I lived in China for a year and a half, mm-hmm. um, with my, uh, convinced my then girlfriend at the time. And so, um, we, we went out there and, and did that. And then, um, but, uh, um, so, you know, I mean, a big place in my heart is in China and then also, um, India too, cause I spent a lot of time afterwards and every morning, you know, I volunteered at Mother Teresa's House of the Dying and Destitute oh, yeah. and in the morning I would get up and you'd get your chai tea, you know, and everywhere you get it from, everybody makes it a little bit different. But one of the things I found was, um, you know, when you drink tea, traditionally you don't want to oversteep tea. And, uh, that's kind of like the prescribed method. But when you get chai, like on the street, um, in India, they kind of keep adding to it. They keep adding more tea and more spices. And it's this huge, you know, you know, colander that they keep straining through. And, uh, and it's amazing, but it's got this kind of like, kind of like astringent. Well, I, we found, cause we have a chai bitters as well. If you macerate the tea, you get a really almost identical flavor. And, uh, so. I was just reading this morning in in the latest issue of The Economist about a liquor that's produced in in China and it's like the national drink of China and it's it's made by fermenting soy but mm. it, but it's but it's alcoholic it has a name like baijiu or something like that Oh baiju yeah There we go you know about it Baiju yeah. yeah it's a very strange process I've been to a couple um distilleries and um it's so strange because they actually bury the grain moist under the ground and then um, they let it sit for a long time and they kind of just close out the air getting to it so that the the other bacteria don't start eating the alcohol and converting it into vinegar. But it's just, it's just the weirdest process. I've definitely had my fair share of by Joe when we lived there. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> oh, is it good? Oh, yeah. It's good. Huh? Uh, there's, there's all kinds. For sure, it's certainly acquired taste. I think there was a book written on it where they said um, uh, it takes a hundred shots to to get to the point to where you enjoyed by Joe, <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot. So, well, now how uh, did you end up spending so much time in in the, the Far East? Well, I was uh, I'd always wanted to live abroad. I'd taken Japanese in junior high and high school, but uh, China was just so much more relevant. In it, there was this degree program that was uh, sending groups of folks over there so i did that and um headed over there and um and it was you know i was just looking for something to shake things up a little bit and uh and just had a great time and so um i have so many friends still over there and um so in fact you know my my daughter is even learning chinese right now and in, in full immersion school so yeah so it's uh it's it's so fun um we, we really love it over there we hope to get back over there soon and um but uh what do we expect to happen with this company of yours and this product yeah, in the, products in the future i think that you know dash fire already the, the ready to drink cocktails has already become pretty much our core business now um it's uh just overnight i mean really has and um because we also sell them as these individual cans, and you generally find them up at the register. We have a really nice little display there. So, um, but uh, we're gonna um, continue to add. For us, we, we also, I mean, of course, the bitters is the foundation that all this was built on. So um, that's important to us as a whole. But the ready-to-drink cocktails and making it so easy for people to just enjoy these great cocktails, you're gonna see a lot more from us in terms of. You know, um, that, that kind of world, the ready to drink cocktail world and different avenues. We're, we're, we're playing with different ideas now on, on kind of how to, to, uh, expand that. And, um, cause we, we'd like to see ourselves as a premium ready to drink cocktail leader 
you know, someday. And so, um, so we're, we're playing with flavors and, and, you know, doing all kinds of great things that taste delicious. And, uh, we'll just keep doing a lot more of that. Well, Lee, I'm, 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 guess- I'm impressed. So yeah, we're, 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 we're guessing that there's a good chance that you'll dominate the the, R, the RTDs. See, I'm in the jargon already. The, the RTD. I hope so. And, and even like in a, I'm, we're even fine. We know we know that uh, our premium cocktails are are different than the other ones too. And there's a lot of people that want to drink some of those sweet ones as well, which we know. And 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 so we're, we're aware of that, but. We really think we just want to keep strong in in the craft and high quality corner of the market because to us it's really important that the flavors really be really be great and then people kind of trust us. They already trust our brand from the bitter side. Um, we're also we're already known as being some of the most concentrated flavors and bitters that are out there because of the way we make them. So with the cocktails, you know, we really want to. Anything with the dash fire name on it has got to be high quality and and be a you know a, a classic and something you trust you know right away. So um, we'll keep doing that for sure. Well, thank you so much for bringing the story of dash fire to our, our listeners at On the Menu Radio, and I'm in touch with us as you have new adventures and new things you'd like us to try. Yeah, absolutely. As long as you're willing to drink stuff, we'll, we'll keep sending you the, <laughs> the good new stuff. <laughs> yeah, Peter. Peter loves those little kids. He drinks one every night at least, and don't you? Oh, there's only one. So only, only one. <laughs> <laughs> only one. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, and uh, continue success, and, and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, listeners, so we hope you enjoyed this week's mixed bag and I'm sure, I'm sure we'll mix it up again same time, same place next week. And until then, bye bye.